0: behind the headlines on WLIWFM. It's our weekly chance to sit down with the award-winning journalists who cover the East End to do a deeper dive into the week's news. I'm Joe Shaw. I'm the executive editor of the Express News Group. We publish the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, the website 27east.com, and Express Magazine. My co-host is Bill Sutton. He is the managing editor of the Express News Group. Good morning, Bill.
1: Good morning, Joe. Good morning, everybody.
0: As always, Good a great morning. panel. We have Denise civiletti who's the editor of Riverhead Local. Hey, Denise. Good morning. We have Beth Young, who's the editor of the East End Beacon. Hey, Beth. Hello. And we have Michael Mackey, who's the local host of Morning Edition right here on WLIWFM. Good morning, Michael.
2: Good morning, folks. We are listener-supported public radio, by the way.
0: <laughs> and thank you for sharing the airwaves with us. We'd appreciate that. We are going to start as we often do in Riverhead, Denise, uh, where the town supervisor in Riverhead, <laughs> Yvette Aguilar, uh, got caught on a hot mic this week and it prompted a little bit of a kerfuffle. I love the word kerfuffle. Let's use I, I kerfuffle. I love that word too. Yeah, let's go with kerfuffle. Tell, tell, us, tell us what happened.
3: We have a lot of kerfuffles in Riverhead,
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's um, Kerfuffle City.
3: So, you know, it was yeah it was a hot mic, but it wasn't like um, an inadvertent hot mic because his it w- it w- it comments were made in the middle of an ongoing meeting. Mm. Um, it's not like the mic was left on or something. Um, and um, so it was uh, in the middle of a town board work session. And um, it was uh, later than usually work sessions, usually at 10 a.m. This one was at one. There was the people were clearing out from the one presentation that had just occurred and um, you know the next agenda topic was was happening and um, uh, Councilman Tim Hubbard uh, leaned over and uh, uh, because someone sits between him and the supervisors, and he kind of leaned over and asked if and you could hear this on the microphone did. are we going to be done in time to go to that ceremony? Anthony Palumbo, State Senator Anthony Palumbo, um, was doing um, an award ceremony at Riverhead Library for three people, two of whom were um, Riverhead firefighters, veteran Riverhead firefighters, including uh, one of them being the first assistant chief. And um, and she turns to Supervisor Aguiar, turns to Hubbard and says, oh, I'm not going to that um don't you know the circumstance she says um everybody was out and they said all these things in the newspaper so this was going to be a ceremony to
0: honor the firefighters right yeah they were
3: getting these i'm sorry yeah i'm still i still got covid brain joe (laughs) (laughs) so they they were getting these liberty medals which is like a very high award from the new york state senate it goes through like this little screening process and the whole senate has to You know, approve it. Um, And um, so this is what she said. And, you know, you could watch on the video on the town's website, like uh, Councilman Hubbard just sort of remains with his slack jaw. Like his (laughs) mouth is open. And the councilman between her her and Mr. Hubbard uh, is uh, Councilman Ken Rothwell, who is actually a volunteer firefighter himself in Southampton um where he, he has a business and he joined there a, a long time ago. But and he looks at her and they're just like astounded. Uh, as was I watching this. Alec was at the meeting. And again, this is in the middle of a meeting. So it's not like she got, you know, sucked I don't know, caught on a hot mic and didn't even though I mean you say it, you say it, um, whether the hot mic is intentional or not, but but it was in the middle of a meeting. And um so Alec comes back. Alec Lewis, our reporter, comes back and tells me about this. And um, I listen to it and I watch it. And I'm like, holy cow. Um, We reported on this back in. This happened in January. This fire happened in January. And um,
1: it was a very, very dramatic fire in in Polish town. Right. It was. It was on Pulaski Street
3: in Polish town. Oh, that was the other thing she added after this, you know, the whole um, the whole Pulaski community is up in arms, so that's why I'm not, and that's why I'm I, I sent a certificate. She said. So
0: she's she's implying that that, that the story. That they didn't
3: is... do it. I mean, she's more than implying. She said they were out. That everybody was out and. And they made and they made these statements in the in the
1: newspaper. These two these two firefighters are town highway workers, right? And they were were passing. They were passing by.
3: (laughs) No, they were were working on the sidewalk down the block. Okay, and and
1: they ran into the fire. And 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 somebody ran out
3: from an insurance office on the other side of Pulaski Street when they saw the flames, and they said, "Fire! Fire!" So these two guys happen to be firefighters. Again, first assistant chief and a ten year veteran. They went running over. Flames are coming out the window of the building. We happened to my daughter happened to be literally just passing by and saw these flames and stopped and started taking pictures. She called me. Peter my, you know, went running over there. Um, it was kind of early in the morning. I don't know, eight thirty, something like that, nine o'clock. And um, these two guys were told that these people were upstairs. So they went running over. Opened the door. One of the ladies—they were elderly Polish ladies. They don't speak English. One of them was on the stairs. They got her out, and then they said that they heard somebody banging on the window upstairs and yelling. You know, there was somebody in the window banging on the window, and there was another person. So this uh, firefighter Frank Greenwood said he—he—he he, he told me. I—I I said to Jr. Jr. Renton is the other—is the first assistant chief. We got another one, and they both. When running upstairs into this apartment and dragged that other lady out. She went so they she, this lady went upstairs into the apartment when it was already on fire and full of smoke because she was looking for her cats. Mm. okay? So the two so- women were both in the downstairs apartment. every morning, they prayed together in in the downstairs apartment. The lady who lived downstairs had like limited mobility or something. So they prayed together every morning. They started smelling smoke. They came out the, the the door to that apartment, which is on the side of the building, went around the back, went into the door to go upstairs. The lady went looking for her cat. She was kind of frantic, right? So then the other lady started to try to go up after her to help her. And that's when the two firefighters arrived. These guys didn't have any kind of safety gear on whatsoever. They had no jackets or, you know, no equipment, nothing. And
0: so pretty heroic. It's a pretty heroic thing. And, yes, and you know. had a you had someone um on your staff as an eyewitness to all of this. Well,
3: I mean, she they she they didn't witness them going up. Like you know, she saw the fire from the street. Um, and when Peter got there, he started talking to people. I that so that morning I got this story from, and we were the only one that, and I think this is important. We were the only ones that had this, and I it's not that's not why it's important, but I think. That might have factored into the supervisor's uh, assessment of this. Uh, of this situation, but. Um, she I I spoke to the chief of the department that day, Chief um, Joe Hartman. He's the one that gave me this, the account of what happened with these two guys in the rescue et cetera. I spoke to Peter spoke to another non firefighter at the scene and i spoke to an eyewitness at the scene who lives next door and, and saw this transpire okay um i then had to like find out how to talk to like i got contact information for these guys and i kind of like coaxed them into talking about this because yeah they were
1: a little reluctant right well
3: you I mean, a lot of firefighters are They're sure. they, they all kind of, you know, they all say the same thing. Well, we just did our job. We did what any firefighter would do. We did what we were trained to do. Like they're all so like, you know, really, I mean, I've never met like a braggart firefighter, you know? Um, and um, again, you know, Assistant Chief Renton has, has has had a number of saves over the years. So he had another one the month before this. Um, so. Anyway, I felt like it was a pretty ironclad account of the facts as they happened, Um, and we put we ran with the story, Um, and um,
0: obviously the the state senate agreed with you.
3: Obviously, Uh, and there's you know, so but like there's some kind of somebody there's a rumor, okay, and so the supervisor who was already shown. a tendency to take uh, official actions based on rumors. Let's t- think about the, the migrant uh, situation and Curtis Lee was uh, rumors, but that's another story. But this is what she, the conclusion that she came to apparently and that, you know, they didn't really do this. And we were making this up because, you know, we're fake news. I don't know. Mm. <laughs> um, but I i really I feel, feel like she was terrible targeting. about these guys because like, you know, this not, was more about you for fame and glory, you know, and this is like putting them through the ringer like this.
0: Yeah. It just, sounds like it was more about you. Than, well,
3: you know what? Well, I, I, I wondered about that. But then when the supervisor jumped on Facebook and wrote a very lengthy comment on the Facebook post for this story, um it became clear that it really was about us because. um she was accusing us of of writing this story basically because she, because how did she put it? Because I'm sorry, your candidate lost. Mm. She wrote. And I was like, what? Wow. <laughs> what candidate? What Elena? And so, what does it have to do with the firefighters? I, I, like we were reporting this because we have something against her. I guess was her point. I don't. I don't really <sighs> know. But I, I I feel bad for these guys and. I'm sure they regret that they even agreed to be interviewed. You know,
0: I don't want to pile on here, Denise, but what would possess an elected official to go after um, firefighters who are being honored? That doesn't seem like it it, doesn't make any sense. She's
2: clearly not running for reelection.
3: No, she is not. She she has um, already. You know, I mean, she's not the candidate. She's not running. I don't know what she's planning to do. What would possess her? I don't really, you know. I've
4: been at town board meetings with her where she's come up to firefighters in the audience and talked to them about her experience in the New York City Police Department after 9-11 and all the funerals she went to and how much respect she has for firefighters. So
3: just to see her turn like this is really. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't think this necessarily is a reflection of how she feels about firefighters in general. I mean, I I, I don't I can't imagine it would be. but. What would possess her? I I really don't know. I think, you know, I think she heard a rumor, and I think she was uh, happy to believe that we reported something incorrectly or exaggerated it or something. Or mm. I I think and, she was she was angry. I mean, well, she was saying those things, but she clearly was angry that we reported the things that she said during a public meeting. Which I'm sorry, right. I think that's kind of our job. Um, right.
0: And know. just to be clear, Denise, I think we have to be exceptionally clear here you have no reason to doubt that original story about the firefighters in the rescue right there, no whatsoever nothing... i
3: have spoken to people since like you know in the, in and out of the fire department like okay did i get snookered here did we get something wrong what do you you know um and the answer is resounding no um and you've I've heard ha- that
0: from from outside the fire department too, i've heard right? that you from heard outside
3: and inside and i you know I I don't I really don't know but uh, the supervisor is kind of an enigma. <laughs> mm. I don't know what else to say. I don't, it's a shame. Know. It feels
0: like the firefighters are sort of collateral damage here.
3: They, they absolutely yeah. are, and I feel I feel really bad for both of them because they're just you know they they're just doing what they're. What do the doing. two
2: women who were saved have to say? Can't we get a. A Polish American to interpret their response. They
3: don't want to talk. They haven't wanted to talk through this whole thing. I don't know.
0: I mean, they were they were through a crisis. My goodness, they
3: lost everything,
0: yeah,
3: including the lady who lost one of her cats. The other one got out, but um, you know, so that's a trauma. Um, you know,
1: well, it's a it's a shame that supervisor. If so, if the supervisor had heard a rumor. You know she could have used this as an opportunity to correct the rumor rather than
3: or look into i mean the first thing we did you know is of course was ask the question and this was alec asking the question you know well what what is this about why are you saying this what is you know because I said to Alec, well, gee, if we got something wrong here, I had the whirlpool that I want to know so we can correct the record. You know, Absolutely.
0: I and, feel like that's something people need to know, that when we when we as journalists hear that kind of criticism, I, I think our response is tell us what's what, you know, and tell us what we got wrong. And if we have to correct it, we will, we, you know, we'll, we'll go out of on our to way to make sure
1: do. that we're correct. Right. right? I mean, it happens.
0: I, I mean, it certainly Absolutely. happens.
3: And I, I should also point out that we did not get a single news tip criticism, you know, criticism or anything. You know how that can be like people will mm-hmm. send you anonymous notes and things like, you know, this isn't right. Check out what these people are doing. Right. You know? <laughs> Right. If the neighbors but were upset, they not would, a they single, not a single, not a peep about this story. Um, you know,
0: this is this feeds into the whole fake news thing that drives me crazy. That that yeah. that it creates controversies where there really aren't any, and and all of it goes to our credibility as news organizations, and that's not a small thing. It's it's really mm-hmm. crucial for us to to be for people to be able to trust us, and when when officials are calling stuff like that into question without real evidence, that's a real dangerous thing.
3: Well, yes. And I, especially when you're, you know, casting aspersions on the volunteer fire service in the town. I mean, come on. Um, yeah. So I, I will also say that, um, you know, that supervisor Aguiar does not really answer our phone calls anymore. Um, so um, we are forced to um in an attempt to get answers to questions, send emails mm. and, and sometimes she responds, and sometimes she doesn't. She responded to Alex's email about this, but did not answer any of the questions that he posed in the email that he sent her. She just said some things that I don't know were not really relevant, but then, on Facebook, in her comment, she posted that something completely different she said that she intended um to do something uh, it's my intention to do something at town hall or something along those lines for these for these guys to honor them Mm. Um, Mm. which is not at all what she said you know so listen to the listen to the recording if they're not we're not even just saying these are the things that we wrote down she said these are her words in her voice
1: yeah, for, um, the, for, the, for the listeners, uh, you, you posted both the audio and, and the video yeah. of, of the uh, the town board meeting on Riverhead Local, if people wanted to uh, to go check that article out. And
3: judging from the comments that this got on Facebook, and there were lots of them, um, people, people see what's going on here, you know. Yeah. So, look, this happened in January. If the town of Riverhead was going to honor these two firefighters, what's taking them so long? It's the middle of June when these comments were made. So, mm-hmm. you know, that was clearly, to me, it was clearly just an excuse. This is all, I, I feel, I mean, it's terrible what what was done with these to these firefighters, but really, in the scheme of things, this is kind of a really silly, petty thing that should, we shouldn't even be wasting time talking about. Sure. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's, this shouldn't have happened. What did yeah. anybody gain from this really... And it I, takes know. takes
0: the spotlight away from but, a couple of guys who really did something of, of valor that that deserves to be. I, to be I, I think
3: we were right in reporting this. Would you
0: agree? Mm-hmm.
1: I
3: mean, like, oh, absolutely.
0: Was this- yeah,
1: no, absolutely.
0: Yeah. So, I don't think you can ignore that kind of, especially. But but the problem is, and this is my, as I said about the whole fake news thing. The problem is, it's very hard to prove. A negative like that. I mean, you you did your reporting effectively the first time. There's really no need to go back and do it a second time. But it's easy for people to cast aspersions on it without any evidence, and and then there's sort of a pall over it that that's hard to hard to get rid of. It's it's unfair. It it really is. This
3: this is something that this particular supervisor loves to do. Um, Mm. She just loves to do this. She's constantly um with us in particular because we have held her feet to the fire about a number mm-hmm. of things and um she really is unhappy about the things that we've you know questioned her about and um in the course of reporting stories let me say like it's and and so um she loves to she will she goes on the uh, local AM radio station here uh, every every Tuesday morning And um, almost every week, she's making some kind of a comment about, you know, about the local (laughs) uh, and the reporting that we've done. That's not exactly a complimentary comment. Uh, Whatever. You know what? Like this is we're used to having these kinds of relationships with politicians. Right. Because, which,
0: by the way, offers a perfect transition for us to go into the next topic. Before we (laughs) do, I will say. That this is behind the headlines on WLIWFM. I'm Joe Shaw. My co-host is Bill Sutton. We're with the Express News Group. Uh, That was Denise Civiletti. She's the editor of Riverhead Local. We also have Beth Young, who's the editor of the East End Beacon, and Michael Mackey from right here at WLIWFM. Uh, Michael, we had an election uh, this past week in Southampton Village. And uh, when we talk about local officials and and local news outlets who have been at odds at different points I and mean, we had our our times with uh the outgoing mayor uh Jesse Warren uh he lost on Tuesday and Bill Mangers is the new mayor uh we had a little bit of a contentious relationship with the mayor at different points along the way Bill right uh it's, I think we we've we, had we, our disagreements
1: we we did and and some of those same issues that Denise was talking about kind of questioning our our reporting at at times and um not even just accuracy reporting he would question um why why we wrote certain stories uh, you know about contentious meetings and 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 stuff and and you know his point to you know ignoring um you know initiative his initiatives and and stuff perhaps at, at times in favor of you know um letting the people know what was what was going on there and and it's uh it's difficult when you have that relationship you know and and again it was you know uh i, I think you know just a disagreement on on uh, what our obligation is to the readers
0: michael what
2: well, was your take on on that race well i mean mayor, first of all mayor warren had a contentious relationship not only with the uh press newspaper group but with the people he worked with in government the police department, uh, fellow trustees, including the trustees who were supporters of his. He managed to alienate everybody in his circle. He's charming, intelligent, uh, the articulate, very impressive up-and-coming uh, young man, And uh, but uh, behind the scenes and when it comes to dealing with the people he has to work with, he doesn't seem to have a, a grasp of uh, the legislative process and that... Uh, You just can't be an autocrat in the Southampton Village government or virtually anywhere in the United States in the governmental system. You have to learn to work effectively with others. Generally, that's the best practice in business at large. But you can get away with being an autocrat in your own business entrepreneurially. But in government, he, um, he failed. It's it's not like he got totally he was, he was beaten pretty decisively but he did get 400 votes he can reach out and uh, connect with the people I thought his re-election campaign was uh, brilliant it was uh, I thought he was going to get uh, killed but he went out and he found out that there were a fair number of people in Southampton Village that felt alienated by the police and these are police of various uh, local citizenry of various demographics so he seemed to be an up and coming. Uh, a star in the political world, but they're, you know, if you talk to... You guys have done it, and so have I. You speak to the people that he worked with behind the scenes, people that initially were very supportive of him were alienated, and and I'm told that had he been elected, that all the trustees would have walked out. Mm-hmm. So it was... A, and uh, it's up to the people. The people that elected Bill Manger, and it's sort of like, oh, it's, it's, a, it's a very... There's a feeling of refreshment in the village. Like, all right, let's get back to, to dealing with the various issues that we must address. Southampton, uh, that Southampton village, you know, it's uh, there's an awful lot of uh, dead storefronts. And, and, and if really? Southampton village were a zip code, only only Southampton village, 11968, were just Southampton village. It'd be right up there with Sagaponic. So what's what's going on here in the village? There's so many things to address. Uh, by by a functioning mayor and uh, and board, and we're looking forward to that happening here.
0: You know, the, the whole point of this, I you know, of of our show is to talk sort of behind the, the scenes here, and I find it interesting. And, and you and I can probably speak to this on this front that, you know, I I always had a personal affinity for for Jesse Warren. He's a nice guy. I think yeah, he's like a likable. Good guy when, yeah, on, a, when and guy. his situ,
2: when he's when he's turns on the charm, very likable. Yes,
0: absolutely. He's got a lot of energy. He's a very smart guy. I, I do believe and, that and, he had a lot of positive. You know, he had the, the best, the best in mind, but he just seems to have an inability to to work well with others. He doesn't really build a consensus.
1: Yeah, no. I, you know, I, I agree, and I and I like I like Jesse very much in, in conversations with him and, and sitting down with him I, I think he's a good guy and I, and I think he truly in, in his in his way had the best interest of of the village at heart and and thought he um when he originally ran that that he saw some some um, issues in the village and issues with politics in general and wanted to come in and 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 make some make some changes um but but yeah to to, to Michael's point and Michael hit it hit it on the head every single person that he aligned himself with either earlier in other races or or employees or whatever he 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 just alienated everybody because it, it just had to be um his way or 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 the highway and you know and i guess um i guess everybody chose the highway you know <laughs> <laughs> well 400 people did vote for him so he did it, it was yeah. it was the the vote was actually a little closer than i thought it was uh, Bill manger got 628 votes and and uh, and, and mayor warren got 465 votes yes. i thought it was going to be a little bit more of a landslide um to be honest but it that just goes to show um you know his his likability and 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 you know and and he's had some good ideas and and certainly wanted to make some changes and you know, coming up with a, an arts and cultural district in in, in the village and, and efforts to, you know, to remedy those empty storefronts or at least beautify them, you know, over the last few years, Michael, where he, you know, tried to contract with with artists and, and institutions to put artwork up in empty stores. And um, certainly he was instrumental in, in helping to clean up Lake Agawam, um, although he certainly didn't do that alone. Um, so, so I mean, you know, he he got things on the right track, but but as you said, if you if you can't if you if you have a, a village board that 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 is going to argue with you on on everything, then then you can't get done anything done. I mean, nothing gets done um, in in that sense.
0: And he, um, yeah. The thing, the thing, that, the, to me about this, and it and it fits with what we were talking about earlier with the the supervisor in Riverhead. I think people feel like we as journalists make decisions about how we report on things and how we write on things and whether we endorse candidates things like that on personal feelings about these people and and that's not what it is in any way and it's it's hard to make people understand that right it's it's hard to it's hard to explain to people that we have to separate any kind of personal feelings and 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 the choices we make are not just just based on whether we like somebody or not that's not what it's about i
3: I will take that a step further and say that i I believe well you know we do this and i believe this is probably standard fare that uh for reporters and editors that when you know you dislike someone or don't agree with them most of the time or whatever you know personal opinion you have of them you go out of your way Yeah to be extra careful about Mm -hmm. that, that that does not seep into your decisions about what you cover or how you cover it. Um, I know we do that. I've always Mm -hmm. done that. Mm -hmm. I remember. uh, um, Oh my gosh, I guess I don't remember. (laughs) (laughs) But the head of the Farm Bureau, Joe. Gergela. Gergela. Thank you. Whew. Um I remember him saying to me one time, you know, the way you report stories, I would never know that you completely disagree with everything that yeah. I say. And, uh, you know, he said I really admire that. Yes, um, yeah, that's maybe may rest program. in peace. He was, you know, we yeah. you know, we were often on opposite sides of, of issues. And he knew that from my day on the town board in Riverhead many years ago. Um, and, um, you know, you got That's what you've got to do. Yeah. I mean, it's everything. Your, your credibility is on the line. And, I, you know, I feel like a lot of times politicians sort of project kind of what they would do and what they do do. In fact, given any opportunity, uh, the way I'm sure you've dealt with as when I was at the, the local newspaper here, uh, we dealt with. Politicians who didn't like editorials or k- stories that we did, giving the legal notices to, you know, mm-hmm. Suffolk mm-hmm. Life or Traveler Watchman when I was with Times Review, you know, that was a common thing, at um, mm-hmm. kind of like out of spite, like we're going to spite you. And
0: I the mean, New York Times, by the way, just did a story this this week about that very topic. Yeah, about, I saw that, that about made me uh, like governments juggle. taking it out on local newspapers. Yeah.
3: Well, you know, and back when I was a uh, you know working at the paper. It was not um it really was not that big a deal today. That revenue is important to, to local mm-hmm. newspapers, um more so than it was back then.
0: Um, I think most officials know that too, and yeah. so they can use it as a as a wow, as a chip. But so.
3: hey, we publish the public notices for free. So they can't take that away from us. We just good publish them so that people could search them and see them online anytime they want because our access is free too. Um, good for you. So so um,
0: so, Michael, we will have uh, Mayor Bill Manger in Southampton Village, and I think the big thing now is whether or not the village can can follow through with the sewer plan, which is something they've been talking about for twenty years. well, mm. uh, probably twenty five years. It's been since yeah. Bill Manger was a trustee back in the early knots. Right. Uh,
2: <laughs> the new site they're proposing on David White's Lane seems interesting.
0: however. Uh, we have an update that we're going to publish this week that I think that site may or may not be in play now because Keyspan says that they are using that site and oh. therefore it may not be in play. But we were talking, I, I think we have to do some reporting and we have to talk with some town officials about what they're hearing, but it's a big site. It's like eight yeah. acres and they only need half of it. Maybe they can work something out, but it, you know, this is... This is obviously an, an issue. It's an issue in Montauk. Uh, it's an issue in East Hampton. Where you put a sewage treatment plant is is a real problem for getting over the hump to getting it done. So uh, the new mayor Bill Manger, has that on his on his plate right now as a top priority, and it's a it's a tough one.
2: No question. The sewage so, treatment is that the re- one of the reasons why we have so many empty storefronts here in Southampton Village. The I'm not plumbing sure. and the infrastructure. I'm not sure I, that. I, I think when you're I mean, talking a, about sewage, you, you're more you're more talking
1: about housing and wet uses like bars and restaurants and um, and and all that. I'm I'm not sure what I I, I think you know. Um, rents are rents are, are pretty high and and you you know and you've got. Um, it, you know, I, I think you've got a lot of landlords who who, you know, they're gonna rent places out they want they want at least for an entire year, where other communities you see an opportunity to go in um as pop-ups for for summer months, um, you know, that 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 type of thing. I I I know that there's a lot of empty storefronts, but I think Southampton, it seems pretty vibrant to me. I mean you know, during the day anyway, I mean, I don't, I don't know what the, what. The, I haven't come in on a Friday night in a while, but it seems like a pretty vibrant village. And I think sewer district only helps that number, number one, it cleans up like Agawam, um, you know, even, even further. And, and that becomes an attraction. They're talking about building the the new park there. Um, but, but it also, um, you know, gives opportunities for, for more restaurants and, and more, um, you know, means to to businesses to bring people into the village to to make it a destination, to have people walking around. And when you have that then then shop owners um you know are are more I think encouraged to uh to utilize those businesses. Uh, Michael I think sure one of
4: to the own the building.
1: Would <laughs> say
0: what?
4: It sure helps if you're a shop owner to own the building.
2: Yeah sure yes yeah. the rents are really well isn't that part of the issue here to the to the people who own the buildings uh Unless they have a really uh, outstanding lucrative tenant with low maintenance, it's better for them just to hold the property because it increases in value and eventually they they sell just like you would with a a piece of land. Is that one of the issues here?
0: I think that's part of it. And I think there's also just a lot of headwinds to be a brick and mortar retail site right now.
1: Sure. Um,
2: Right.
0: You know, those in this economy, it's a very difficult thing. So,
1: um, particularly when you have to pay. The kind of rents that they charge in the not just Southampton. I mean in, in all the in all the downtown areas on on the South Fork.
0: I think it's um, prohibitive, yeah.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Uh this is behind the
0: headlines on WLIWFM. I'm Joe Shaw. My co-host is Bill Sutton. Our panelists this week are Denise Civiletti of Riverhead Local, Beth Young of the East End Beacon, and Michael Mackey of WLIWFM. Uh we wanted to talk uh real briefly about uh Wayne Scott and the the vote that took place on Tuesday and bill we can try and explain this now I, we were so, talking so, off air before we came on that this is this is sort of an unusual situation
1: it's it's, it's very complicated i mean so Wayne Scott had a, a revote the the initial vote that they had in in May failed um voters um because because they uh, had sought to pierce the tax cap, they needed 60% voter of the voters to you know to vote in favor of the budget. So it failed on on that grounds. On the first time, they put it up for a revote on Tuesday, and it failed again. Um, although more people voted in favor of it than against it, um, it didn't reach that 60% threshold for um for a budget 6 million 6.1 million dollars which was essentially the same budget that that failed the first time now you've got a lot you've got a lot going on in in, in wayne scott it would have accounted for you know for a a huge tax increase um the budget um Relatively, for you know, for for Wayne it's, Scott, which it's a which, wealthy district, which, which is a a wealthy district, but um, you the know, states, it's, the it's,
0: state the state tax levy increases, I think, just really limits what they can what they can do. And this was a district that it's a small district that had twenty students move into the district, and so, so these, that's what
1: that that twenty students last year really through the district because the the district only had 120 students total last year and they only educate um kindergarten through through the the third grade they tuition out all the rest of the students so they're paying these high tuition prices to um to send students to East Hampton Sag Harbor Bridgehampton or boseys if if it's needed um and and so that so adding 20% to what would have been a hundred students i mean it's a you know a 20 percent increase if my if my if my journal math, math is, is is correct <laughs> but it, it accounted for a one million dollar shortfall in in the budget um so they they the the district went to voters in in may and asked them to help uh make up for that one million dollars which which they did but then voters, um, you know, or, or the the lack of the supermajority, um, you know, rejected the, the vote this time around. And the interesting thing we were talking about is what also comes into play is is the state has has really been enforcing policy lately, telling districts that they can't hold too much money in in reserve. I think it's capped. at What's it capped at? About four percent,
2: something like that. So that yeah. that kind
1: of number. And so over the last few years, Wayne Scott has been dispersing their their reserves and getting rid of their reserve money to meet this new state mandate. Giving it back to taxpayers. Giving it back to taxpayers and and putting it toward toward operating the district. Um, and, And if they had had that savings left, then they wouldn't be in the dire straits that they're in right now. So it's, you know, it's the whole question about... I look personally. I'm. I've always been in favor of the tax cap because I used to see budgets increase by, you know, ten percent, fifteen percent, you know, twelve percent every year, which was which I thought was expe- excessive. So I, I like the idea of the tax cap. But I think on the east end, when you have these tiny little districts, um, it, it can come sometimes be be counterproductive. Where how is it? How is a district supposed to make up for? You know, for that million dollar, you know, shortfall. Although, I mean, the argument on the opposite end of that would be convince your voters to support the budget.
4: Well, it's it's kind of ironic that in these these areas with the small school districts. First of all, I think a lot of this stuff with the reserves is kind of designed to push out these littler school districts. Yeah. But, um, but these tiny school districts, the, the the people who live in those districts relative to their neighboring districts with lots of students are not paying as much in taxes, not nearly as much. And just to see that the people in Wayne Scott are, should understand that their taxes are already much lower than neighboring areas. I, you know, this is a little baffling. Um,
0: Yeah. The bottom line is that the voters did not support this budget, even though this budget was as bare bones a budget as you're going to ever see. and, and, Um, What's going to happen now is the district is going to be forced to adopt a contingency budget, which means no no increase from last year. There's no way they'll be able to meet their obligations under those circumstances. So the district is scrambling to look for options. They're hoping that the state may step in and provide some, some aid, but it's really difficult to justify providing aid to a wealthy school district. I mean, this this is a really fascinating sort of Gordian knot that there are so many different things in play here that restrict what Wayne Scott can do. Uh, It just demonstrates that these policies that are in place for school districts across the state don't seem to apply when you're talking about the little school districts. They just can't adapt to the changing conditions fast enough. And that may have been been.
4: five new students moving into the district can blow them out of the tax.
0: um, That's it. And you know, twenty is is an absolute crisis, yeah. You know?
2: Especially yeah. when so many have to be tuitioned out. That's where the real cost is, right? They could absorb the costs to some degree if everybody was staying within the district, but they only have cases. three.
4: most kids, if they if they're in the first grade, they're going to end up being tuitioned out, tuitioned out in the older grades anyway. So
2: There's it's interesting what you guys were saying. I I was told by a local. A uh, former educator and legislator, yesterday. Well, Wayne Scott, the uh, school board should have planned for this, but you're telling me that, uh, and and now that you've mentioned it, I know this. They can only save so much money, Correct. If if they know that four years from now they yeah. may have twenty or thirty or forty more students, they can't. They can plan for it, but they can't hold the money uh, and and save for it. It's very challenging. And it's it, also,
1: and I, I, I think, I think Beth's right. some of that is is intended on the state's part state has always been in favor of consolidation the state has has never been in favor of smaller these smaller school districts and and has always you know pushed for for larger school districts and larger school districts to absorb the 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 smaller school districts so part of it seems in, intended that that way um and and i think you know we've we've kind of um you know, we've editorialized in the past, in the past, in in favor of 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 consolidation. I I think it, in in the end, you know, it it ends up evening things out, um, you know, across the board. Um, but but if you I I understand the the you know residents of these small school districts, and you see it in you know all across the South Fork, Sagaponic and you know, and and uh, other other districts that they like to have their own small little school district but if you're going to have your own small little school district you got to support the budget you, you got to pay more you got to you got to come out and vote in favor of of a budget piercing the tax gap now
0: well,
2: to put this in like some perspective <laughs> 11975 is about the fifth or sixth most expensive mm-hmm. zip code in the state of New York and 36th mm-hmm. in the United States of America yes. so you would think that things could be how much are they paying per, even if they doubled what they were paying uh, last year which is what was proposed and what they would need to do how much money is that to most of the people who live in Wayne Scott certainly uh, i mean it's it's just that i throw those questions out there they are i think there's a principle but, but, uh, with some yeah. of the
0: people who are voting too that they yeah. just don't want to see their budget go up that much and there's the other thing that's interesting about this michael is the people who say well Wayne Scott should have prepared for this well what's interesting is if you're talking about 20 kids who move into the district and I don't I don't know the breakdown at the moment but it's not a case of just absorbing 20 kids into the existing school infrastructure some of those kids maybe most of those kids are already graded out they're 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 you're only providing Correct. lower grades education so right. all they are is an is a line on a budget where you have to pay for the tuition for them to go to another school district it's kind of not fair in some ways, with the way it's set up, but this is the argument against the small school districts that don't have high schools uh, because the tuition is part of the equation, as always.
4: And there have been several affordable housing proposals, in Wayne Scott right. and Wayne's got the who got in my so, right.
0: So there's anticipation of more
2: students in the district. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, that's going to be that that's actually lurking in the background, I think, as part of the whole conversation because the board went out of its way to point out that that was not an element of the situation they're in right now. That's a whole different
2: Correct. question. Yeah. It's going to yeah. be
0: a, a thing going forward. We'll, we'll see. We're going to be, you know, following up on what the options are for the district, but there aren't a lot. I think it's fair to say that Wayne Scott's really in a tough spot. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think they're necessarily going to be alone in this. I think the other small school districts may may face something similar. So They,
1: they have set up a committee. They had a, a meeting on 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 Wednesday night um and they're going to have another meeting uh, next week so they're there's certainly the uh the school board and this committee hopefully you know that involves um different stakeholders are are, are going to try to come up with some kind of plan um you you mentioned the the state Joe and and I think that you know there had been talk about some kind of further bailout from from the state um but in conversations we had with um you know Assemblyman Fred Deal. You know he he brought up uh, michael's point it's kind of difficult to try to convince state legislators from from buffalo that to yeah. to, to support a school district in 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 such a, a rich zip code yeah
0: it's part of the part of the equation too it's a it's a fascinating thing uh it'll be interesting to see how wayne scott decides to to get its way out of this which which may be a difficult uh difficult task I do want to switch gears. We have a couple minutes left, and I want to give Beth a chance to talk a little bit about um, a story she did this week about a pair of young women who have de- debut novels coming out, and they're both writing about life on the East End, right?
4: Yeah. Um, one of them is writing um, a story called Save What's Left. Um, it, it's a unbeach read. It's being billed as a, the first line of the book is never buy a beach house, and then <laughs> Uh, It's by a woman, a young woman named Elizabeth Castellano. Um, She grew up in a a tiny little town on the um, on the North Fork that has a very tiny schoolhouse. And I'm not allowed to mention the name of the the Hamlet. Um, um, But uh, but she writes it from the perspective of a newcomer coming in um, uh, who uh, can't believe what she's dealing with and the book is actually all about. Zoning board meetings and height variances and all the other things that you and the, that, that that all of us here talk about every day. Um, so as a reporter, it's really a blast reading it. But I think the general public will really enjoy it as well. Um, and she really loves where she comes from. And um, you'll recognize a lot of um, thorny things. Um, uh, in local in local government from the book. Um, another book uh, by a young woman um, named June Gervais, it's called Jobs for Girls with Artistic Flair. And um, it's about a uh, a young woman who wants to be a tattoo artist. And it takes place in a town called Blue Claw that is at the fork of Long Island. Um, so it's, it's modeled after Riverhead. They talk about the water rising during Hurricane Gloria behind the back parking lot. And you, you feel like you're right there. Um, So they're all very, they're both very evocative of life on the East and they're both really well-written and they're uh, not formulaic. Um, So these, these young women are really, uh, really doing some interesting things.
0: I am just thrilled that somebody is finally writing the great American novel about local regulatory boards. (laughs) (laughs) That's long overdue. It's a comedy, right?
4: It's a comedy. Oh, It is a funny book. It is a funny (laughs) book.
0: (laughs) so, What's what are, is there something that's that's similar about the two books? Uh, they're both being written from the perspective, these these two young women both have long roots here, right?
4: Yeah, they they both uh they both grew up here. Um, uh, they're they're not very similar at all. Um, they're just they, they were both picked up by major publishing houses, and um, and they're both you, really you don't see a lot of that
1: anymore, anymore either, yeah. which is a testament to them, I would think.
4: Yeah, so um
0: but it's also a demonstration and we talk all the time about the legacy of the east end's literary um past but that's a, a part of our community that's that's very vibrant still there's a lot of books coming out of authors who live full or part time on the east end we we see it all the time there's a, there's a lot of new books coming out uh that have local connections
4: yeah absolutely and uh and we're preserving our literary heritage which is great and it's great to see the North Fork represented
3: there. Um, and yeah. you published a story about these books.
0: To uh, I will be in the coming week. You'll yes. be, okay, coming up in this week's edition. Yes, cool beans. All right, Michael, we yes. saved you a couple of minutes to complain about traffic. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's always a topic that's worth a conversation, though. I lived in Southampton
2: Village from uh, 1990 to 2013. About uh, ten years ago, I moved four miles west to Shinnecock. But I feel like I spend more time in Southampton Village now than ever, especially when I drive home at night and I get about as far as our uh, 51 Hill Street radio station. I think, oh, I'm only eight minutes, nine minutes from home. And 49 minutes later, I get home. This is, uh, we had the Juneteenth this year on a Monday Juneteenth is a developing holiday, and we had a real holiday weekend out here, at least on the South Fork. I'm not sure what they did on the North Fork. The restaurants were booming. It was really active that uh, Saturday and Sunday uh, all through the days and the nights. So I'm thinking that on Monday morning, the uh, the trade parade traffic will be light because it's a holiday. Well, apparently, the government workers and the school workers didn't have to show up for work. But everybody else in the trade parade in the, the private sector was here. So the trade parade traffic was pretty heavy uh, westbound on uh, Monday morning and Monday evening, driving home from uh, Bridgehampton to our home in Shinnecock, it took 70 minutes. It should take 18 or 19 wow. minutes. Damn. That's because the not only do we have trade parade traffic going home at the end of the day, but all the weekenders who took advantage of the three-day weekend. Here's an interesting uh, thought uh, three years from now, 2026, Juneteenth again falls on a weekend. It's a Friday, so we'll have another holiday weekend. That same weekend in 2026 is the U.S. Open Golf Championship Uh-oh. at right. the Shinnecock Hills Golf Course. That tournament was arra- originally arranged to be in mid-June in Southampton because it was a little, you used to have a lull between Memorial Day and uh, and the beginning of uh, the end of June. But uh, not this year, and uh, three years from now it ought to be interesting. I also thought that the uh, the south the relocation of Southampton Hospital to that same site at the same time would also uh, create some havoc. But Bob Challoner's leaving leads leads me to believe development and uh, fundraising for that uh, project won't allow for building to start by twenty twenty six. But if it does, holy cow!
0: Yeah, I think probably it'll be a little longer than that, but. Yeah, a lot of the traffic efforts that were undertaken by the town and and throughout the region uh, last year, we aren't really seeing. We see some of it along Montauk Highway this year, but some of the other efforts. I know the the village, the only one
1: they're the only one they're still doing a a program in is Canoe Place Road, Mm -hmm. and and that really helps. And the others, they've decided they did a traffic study, um, and they've decided I think that it's just going to cost too much money to to have the cops on the road doing the
2: blinking lights program. And so we're just kind of stuck with it. Maybe. I'm uh, afraid. I'm the afraid village had that this that... Lee Avenue thing where if you're heading on yeah. uh, Hill Street, heading west, a lot of folks go south and they go all the way around. Then they come out uh, uh, Lee Avenue. I, I, I feel that's cutting ahead and the people who live back there can't possibly like it. The and they were going to stop that, but. Uh, apparently not. So
0: yeah, I'm afraid you're gonna have to sit in it for a little while longer, Michael. <laughs> Sorry about that.
2: Uh, there are worse no places to, get to live than South we'll jet packs
0: packs By
1: the time the uh, the golf tournament comes,
0: yeah, maybe those true. jet
1: packs will finally come. They're right,
0: they've been promising those for jet cars too. We yeah. haven't seen those yet. So we are out of time. Uh, I want to thank our panelists this week: Denise civiletti of Riverhead Local, Beth Young of the East End Deacon, and Michael Mackey of right here at WLIWSM. Thank you, guys. We appreciate it. Uh, Thank you to my co-host, Bill Sutton. Thanks, Bill. Always a pleasure. And uh, a little happy news as we sign off this week. Uh, I want to announce that Behind the Headlines actually has won two folio awards from the Long Island Fair Media Council. Uh, We won an award for Best Talk Show on Long Island and also another one for our election coverage last year. So we're very proud of that. Thank you. And, And I think that's definitely a word we share, Bill, with all of our panelists Uh, who really do make this show something special. So thank you guys. Thank
3: you. That's great. And uh, we
0: we will be back next week with another edition of Behind the Headlines. Thank you.